Welcome to Holy Human, where we bring disability and neurodiversity to the pulpit. I'm Katie. And I'm Serena. And today we are interviewing Sailor O'Brien, the one and only. How you doing, Sailor? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Before we get started with this interview, we would like to joyfully exclaim that we are members of the Dialogue Podcast Network. Dialogue Podcast Network is a collective of independent, interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion of all aspects of LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. One of the podcasts that are also on the Dialogue Podcast Network is called The Foyer. One of their more recent episodes, it's not their most recent now because they just posted one, but I recently listened to their episode called Heavenly Mother Moment or Movement. I mean, it's incredible. So many wonderful, informational and mind-blowing moments. They interview three different LDS women that have scholarly experience studying Heavenly Mother. There's a children's author that writes about women in the church and Heavenly Mother and poets please check it out. You can view the episode on any platform. They are now streaming on all audio platforms. That's a new thing for them. So congrats to the foyer. Be sure to check them out. Okay, now it's time to jump into this interview. So for those who don't know you, why don't you give a little introduction to yourself, what you're up to, your disability, and your pronouns. Well, again, my name is Sailor O'Brien. I'm 18. She, her. And I'm also a Paralympic alpine skier, and I have a disability called spina bifida. Which is the same disability that I have. I don't know if you knew that. Really? I do? Yeah, surprise. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I know. It's fun. So I'm curious because when I say I have spina bifida and I meet other people with spina bifida, when I ask people how do you describe it, I feel like a lot of people describe it differently. If you were yeah. to describe what it is to someone who doesn't know, how do you kind of say it? Yeah, usually I kind of, I mean, generally, like, not to, like, adult, you know, explanation and not to, like, kid explanation. I kind of explain it as having a hole in your spine and from that hole down, everything is basically what I like to call, like, dead. You know, I like to think about my nerves having light bulbs on them. And all of those nerves, like the light bulbs are dead, they're not working. Hmm. And so from that point down, nothing really works very well and just limits mobility and stuff. Yeah. 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 So fun fact for our listeners and readers. Well, fun fact. It's a fact. (laughs) (laughs) Wherever the hole in your spine or the disformity, mine is like a disruption is what I call it because I didn't actually have a hole in my back, but some people do. Whatever level it is on your spine, the higher up, the more it affects, right? So some people can be more paralyzed than others. Some people can have more or less function than others. People's spine bifida, some can walk fine. Some can walk with crutches. Some use chairs. It really varies a lot with spine bifida. And you you said you use crutches, right? I use crutches. I have a wheelchair. I don't really use it, though. But I, you know, I walk a, a bit without my crutches, usually just around the house, but... Same. Do you hold on to walls like me? Yes. <laughs> I, so, yeah, my house growing up, it always had, like, black marks where I hold onto the walls. 
these are all for me. You can tell exactly like where I take a few steps and then hold on to the wall. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> oh, and also, I don't know if you've heard this before. There's this thing called identity first language and person first language. I usually like, you know, name first and then disability after or kind of like like that. So person first. So you prefer person with disability rather than disabled person. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, great. Good to know. Okay, Sailor. So, I mean, let's get into what we're most excited to talk to you about. Tell us <laughs> about your journey to the Paralympics. Yeah, this is kind of a long story, honestly. We're here for it. Do it. Really, it starts out pretty young age. There's, I have a lot of siblings. So it was kind of a new thing for my parents to be able to take care of a child with a disability. Mm-hmm. So they were very, like, probably a little confused and just kind of like, what is this child's life going to be like? Yeah. And really, like, the first thing that came to mind was just to do sports. You know, my parents both grew up doing tons and tons of different sports, really athletic. That was, like, you know, second nature to them. So they just were like, yeah, let's get her into sports and just try something out. I tried softball and soccer. Swimming, hockey. Wow. Just like very wide variety of, of different things. And then we tried skiing, and, and that was probably around the age of four. And nothing else clicked like skiing did for me. I still don't know what it was about like that thing, you know, where the, you go up to the mountains, there's snow everywhere, and you just go skiing down like the hill with these two like weird playing things, you know, I didn't know what it was for me. I loved it so much, but I did. And yeah, like I just didn't want to do anything else. I did lessons with an adaptive program here in Utah and kind of just like grew from there. Around age 10, I started kind of wanting to get into competition and was really dead set on going to the Paralympics. At age so, 10? Yeah. Well, wow. I mean, it was like 8 to 10 years old that I was just like, yeah, let's go to the Olympics, you know? <laughs> well, this is the obvious next step. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. We uh, decided to find a competition program, got into that. I was originally, like, growing up skiing. I was stand-up skiing and doing four tracking, which, you know, if people don't know what that is, it's... You're on regular skis, but your ski poles are what crutches look like with little mini skis on the bottom. Oh, cool. And then because I wanted to compete, they classify you based on your disability and and which if you're a stand-up skier or if you're a sit skier. And I was not allowed to compete standing up, so I had to switch to sit skiing. (gasps) Oh. Yeah, you sit in this, like, bucket, in this, like, rig, and then there's a one single ski attached to the bottom of it. And then you have the same outriggers that you do for four tracking. But, yeah, so I switched over and took a season off from the team to learn how to monoski or sit-ski. And after that, got back on the team and have been competing since then. So all people with spina bifida aren't allowed to stand-ski? Like, why is that? No, like it's really, it's not the disability itself. It's just your level of mobility. 
Okay. You know, I mean, even though that I grew up stand-up skiing and I could stand up pretty well, the people that I was competing against didn't have any paralyzation. Oh. It was like someone was missing a leg, but they were standing up, you know. Okay. Them putting you in in the mono-skiing, do you feel like that was more fair for you? Yeah, definitely fair. I also, like, love it way more than stand-up skiing, you know. And, like, even after a few seasons of sit skiing, I was like, oh, maybe I'll try four-tracking, like, just on free ski days where I'm just having fun and not training or doing anything, going out with friends or whatever. And I tried Mm -hmm. it once, and I made it, like, halfway down the run, and my legs were burning, and I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. (laughs) All right. So it turned out for turned out for the best. That's good to hear. <laughs> wow, very cool. And then you mentioned a little bit about how you have free days and then you have training days. What does that look like? What does your training and exercising look like? In the winter, it is five days a week from nine to two of just skiing. Usually the morning is just doing drills and tasks and, and whatnot. And then the afternoon is more focused on gate training, which is, you know, racing in the gates and that kind of training. And then, you know, when it's summer right now, I'm usually just in the gym, you know, or I'm at home working out and just getting fit and strong for the next season that's coming. Yeah. Are you homeschooled then? Like, how does that work with your schooling? Right. She's 18, Katie. (laughs) That just seems like you would spend so much time on it. I'm amazed. Right. So that, you know, did become a problem. You know, I did go to public school as a kid. And even when I started seriously kind of skiing, probably fifth grade, you know, I was gone a lot. By the time I was done skiing, school was over. So I was like, I'm not like, whatever. I'll just, <laughs> you know, and, and that did kind of get worse as I got older. Um mm just homework piled up tests piled up like it was terrible some teachers were a little patient but others were not and I think that created like a ton of anxiety for me Hmm. Um, and then we decided to kind of go online seventh or eighth grade and we just you know kept trying to find something and we did find a private online school in Park City that is actually run by Peekaboo Street, who was an alpine skier in the 2002 Olympics here in Salt Lake City. Oh, what the heck? I know. Cool, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so we decided to do that for a bit, and I just barely decided to kind of quit on that and just get a GED, because the reality was when I was going to graduate was probably going to be like when I'm like 20 years old. So mm. I just like didn't really want that. Yeah. So right now I'm just focusing on getting a GED. Yeah. Wow. Good Perfect. for you. Yeah. Okay. How does a person get to the Paralympics? You've competed in other competitions, right? To like kind of build your, I don't know what to call it, reputation up. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that too. Yeah. I mean, if the goal is to get to the Paralympics, or the Olympics, if you're an able-bodied person listening. There's a lot of dedication to that. I don't want to say a lot of your your life is taken away from you. But, like, I, as a high school, you know, high schooler, like, I haven't experienced going to prom. I haven't experienced going to parties because I've been so dedicated to that. And 
that is kind of honestly the first step you have to accept is missing out on a lot of different opportunities. Mm. But I think I'd rather experience, you know, my skiing opportunities more than, you know, the dance prom or whatever it is. Am I going to really look back, you know, 10 or 20 years and say, yeah, prom was cool, you know, or am I going to say, oh my gosh, that competition was so awesome. Like, it's kind of just, you know, picking your, your battles. Mm-hmm. I did nerd out and like, look, I found an article about you online and it says you even competed in South Korea. Is that right? I didn't compete. I did go. The program that I'm like, that I compete with, they took me to Korea to go watch my teammates who were competing in Korea. And also they're building a adaptive skiing program in Korea. So I got to go and teach kids how to ski in Korea. Wow, wow. Ah, so jealous right now. I want to go to Korea. <laughs> and then also multiple bronze medals in, what is it? Shalom. The events are called Slalom, Giant Slalom, Super Giant Slalom, and Downhill. Those are all the, the skiing events and whatnot. And the cool story is that my first Super G, which, you know, Super Giant Slalom, is a speed event. So you're going really, really fast and whatnot and it's pretty risky and scary wow the first time that i ever did it i got on the podium and i got a bronze medal which was so cool the first wow. time do you know how old you were oh man i think i was uh, you have to be a certain age to compete in that event so i had to have been like 15 or something wow yeah. that's cool which was super awesome yeah <laughs> yeah and then People with partial paralysis, a lot of times it's hard to figure out like how to exercise, how to move their body. Do you have any tips for people who are kind of struggling with that? Yeah, I mean, because it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. There are people that, you know, don't have the same disability as me, but are similar, but that like have different things that I do, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's very personalized, which is equally so amazing, also really tricky. And I'd say, like, my tip is to just just find a way. Even if you're not doing the exact able-bodied exercise that you're supposed to be doing, just, you know, modify it, you know. Like, I have to do push-ups a different way. I have to do planks a different way. I have to do, like, based on my disability, I have to get in a certain position to throw, like, a weighted ball, you know. Like, I don't stand on my own very well, you know, so most of the time I have to sit and do certain exercises. I can't do jumping jacks, you know, but I'll swing my arms, you know, even if I'm not jumping. Yeah. It sounds like you've learned to become really patient and understanding of your body and figuring out your own way to make your body work for you. Was that a journey or was that just like, hey, it is what it is. Let's do it. Yeah, it was definitely a journey, like going to certain trainers, some of them had a certain disability and some of them didn't and the able-bodied ones like never really had any experience working with somebody with a disability before so it was kind of a learning experience for both of us I think it's been especially hard regarding like you know you are your own worst self-critic right yeah when I wasn't getting like the results that I was expecting 
when I'm looking at somebody doing the same workout routine that's able body and seeing them get the results, mm-hmm. it was really, really challenging for me to accept and kind of just learning to not compare myself to those people mm-hmm. and just keeping it, you know, like some bodies do get stronger faster, you know, like it is literally just so personalized based on your body and and the way that you function and I couldn't accept that and I couldn't really wrap my brain around that Mm -hmm. so that was like the biggest challenge for me after kind of doing it for a while I kind of was just like you know whatever screw that person that looks like way better than I do (laughs) I look great Mm -hmm. yeah just kind of accepting it and kind of letting it go yeah I love that idea of just like don't compare yourself to others. Like you're working for your body and you're putting so much into it and your reward will look different. And that's really cool. Me and my husband, my husband also is disabled. We used to have a personal trainer and the way that the gym was set up was it was like, if you had a personal trainer, they had a special area for you to work out in. And it was kind of in the middle of the gym. So when we would have our workouts with our personal trainer, we would walk past everyone who's working out and then go to our special little box and work out with the personal trainer. And it felt like we were on display for everybody. Mm-hmm. And there were so many people watching us and they would just like have the most heartfelt, like, oh, just so proud of us when they'd walk by and we're like, okay, like we're trying to like just do our own thing. And almost every single time we worked out, when we would leave the gym, people would be like, I just want you to know that you inspired me today. And they are all (gasps) teary about it. And we're like sweaty and disgusting. And we're like, okay, you're welcome. Like what the freak? To our (laughs) able-bodied listeners, please do not do that. Oh my gosh. It's very, it's frustrating and awkward. I don't know if other people feel this way, but when I work out and I'm kind of sweaty and gross, I'm like, I feel really vulnerable and I'm like, I got to get to a shower. Like, I feel so gross. And people are stopping you and just like looking at your body and like, it's just amazing what you're doing. Do you ever face that in adaptive sports of people like overly weird to you? Yes, absolutely. Like, my goodness. (laughs) Like, so... I mean, I just, it's hard to know when is the moment that you need to say what you said was really inappropriate. Yeah. And also to be like, they're not educated. So like, how, how do I get mad at this person who doesn't know anything? Right. Yeah. It's very, I've had some really interesting experiences for sure. I think I've had a lot of experiences going to a gym which I'm like luckily because of COVID which was like the only thing that I was happy about is I didn't have to go to the gym (laughs) (laughs) when there was like so many people there like could not just stop staring at me and was just like oh my gosh I'm going to murder you please stop yeah Yeah. just like and you know I got a few oh my gosh you're so inspiring like Dude, I'm just going to the gym like you are. Like, should I come over to you and say, oh my gosh, you're so inspiring. <laughs> you're just doing like, a, you know, like reps of bench press. I like. <laughs> <laughs> They're like lifting 10 pounds. You're like, you're so inspiring. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh my goodness, people, people. And, you know, I have had several like conversations. I need to like write these stories down because they're kind of funny. 
when like I'm skiing, you know, I go up the chairlift and often people are either scared to go up the chairlift with me. And if they hmm. do, they either don't talk the entire lift ride, which is super awkward, <laughs> or they like try and make conversation, but like usually ends up being weird and inappropriate and just kind of like, uh, I don't know. I think I'd rather take the awkward silence. Like, oh, yeah. Some people, you know, when we're having a conversation, they're just like, you know, you're so fast. Like, you, you're so inspiring. And, oh, my gosh. And I'm just like, thanks, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I will take the compliment. But, like, also at the same time, it's weird when I'm literally just living my life. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> like. I, you know, I just, I'm living my life. Like, there's tons of people, able-bodied people out here skiing around me. And, like, I'm not going over to them saying, oh, my gosh, you're skiing so well. You're so inspiring. Like, dude, no. (laughs) You, honestly, you nailed it. The reason why people are pointing it out is because they see disability as a negative thing. And it's, like, so amazing that you can do anything to be happy for yourself with a disability. If you think about it, like if skiing didn't exist and you saw someone skiing down a mountain, like it's a person that figured out equipment to adapt their bodies to be able to fly down a mountain at Mm. really fast speeds and to control it. And that's really cool, but skiing exists and you're doing the same thing. You have equipment that you've adapted for your body to be able to control yourself to fly down a mountain. It's just like anyone else. It's just different equipment, right? Right. So, yeah. And, and it's funny how you can literally talk to any disabled person and they have stories like that. I mean, not everyone skis like you, but similar where you're just existing <laughs> and people harass you. <laughs> well, same for anyone with a visible disability, right? For me, I I don't feel like I would get the same reaction because I have invisible disabilities. That's like, true. And I used to be a ballroom dancer and, well, and other social dancing. And I actually used to run a dance venue in Provo. But if my legs gave out in the middle of a dance, people would be like, are you okay? Like, what happened? What do we do? Sort of reaction. And like, y'all, you obviously, this is your first time dancing here. And I've been here for years because you don't know me. Everybody else knows me. Or if I'm training, I don't know. They're just not very welcoming to people with disabilities and like adaptations because it's such a like strict, like you must move your body in this exact way and you have to put your weight this way. And I don't know. It just feels very um, ableist. And anyway, that makes perfect sense. And I love that you shared that. Yeah. I wasn't considering that when I was speaking just then. Invisible disabilities have like different kinds of barriers and social experiences in public especially if your disability is revealed like if it's invisible and then it's revealed to people right so like another thing that triggers my cataplexy is if I just been like working out for too long just like the endorphins right and I feel like a trainer or a coach would turn to me and be like come on get up you can do it and I'm like I physically can't y'all like this it's a literally a brain chemical that is paralyzing my legs right now (laughs) like you can give me your motivational speeches all you want but it's not gonna make my legs work like and then I get pissed off and then that makes my legs even worse anyway yeah it's interesting how 
when you have your disabled body and you're interacting with able-bodied people, you kind of have to be an expert and an advocate for yourself on your body. But it's tricky when, like for Serena, she wasn't diagnosed until her 20s and she didn't start experiencing symptoms until her 20s. Or 19, but yeah. 19. So it's hard when it's new to you too and when you're still trying to figure out how you can push your body and how you can adapt it's hard to voice that for yourself too uh it's tricky but it's really i it's so cool that you found a way to exercise and train for your sport and kind of master that for yourself i'm sure it's not easy and it's still a challenge to push yourself but it's really cool that you've found that and i want to encourage people with disabilities even though it's like hard try your best to be good to your body Uh, I'm not trying to say, like, have you tried yoga to fix your disability? (laughs) But, yeah, just be good to your body and uh, give to your body the best you can. And hopefully it'll give back in small ways, right? So going more into this, if you're okay to keep talking about this, have you ever faced discrimination based on your disability? Yeah, I mean, yes, in, like, certain ways, but it also could in somebody else's eyes, not be seen as discrimination. It still could, you know, be seen as inappropriate, but mm-hmm. also, like, could be discriminated. I don't know. You know, it's very it's very nuanced. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kind of what the most, at least recent-ish discrimination that I have experienced um, has been kind of like... For example, like going to public school, um, just like going to um, PE and doing the activities with the kids and, and, you know, the PE teachers kind of just like, listen, I don't know what to do with you. So, like, why don't you just like sit down and watch? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and also I kind of like preferred to sit down and watch at the same time because people were, you know, staring and it was weird and it was uncomfortable and I just didn't like, didn't like it, you know, um, just that kind of stuff or, you know, I think that, um, when most most people with disabilities, when they're going to public school, you usually have a meeting before school starts with, like, your teachers, your principals, like, the staff, whatever, about, like, what you need and, like, what is, like, how are you best, like, how are you going to succeed, you know, how are you going to function in this classroom and, and what do we need to do to make sure that you succeed? Um, and I think the worst thing about that is, like, for me personally, they always like would talk to a certain group of kids in that class and say, look, there's this girl who has a disability who probably doesn't have any friends, so you need to be really nice to her and like try to be friends mm-hmm. with her. Mm-hmm. Like your class, that would be a message yeah. shared with your class. While you're in the class or where are you outside? Outside. Uh, okay. Okay. How do you feel about that? Terrible. Yeah. Why can't I just make my own friends? Like, I'm not helpless. (laughs) You know, even I went to, like, a semester of public high school. I did explain to them, like, that I have terrible social anxiety. And they were like, oh, well, do you want us to, like, set up, like, a group of friends for you? Or, like, (gasps) 
Did you only talk to like the student? What do they call it? Like the student body president or whatever? You know? Yeah. To like make sure that like people are nice to you, and it was just like no. That is the exact opposite of what I need or want, you know? Like, Yeah. Yeah, like, just things like that, you know? I tried swimming as a sport, and I ultimately quit because the kids were mean and rude. Oh. Like, this one kid was just, you know, kind of like, I could hear what he was saying, but he was talking to somebody else, and he was just like, I don't even know why she's here. She doesn't even swim fast. She literally sucks. <gasps> just like went off and it was like okay and i'm done like oh wow. my god wow yeah no i've definitely had a few experiences where it's like i hate people <laughs> yeah hey people suck <laughs> i hate people too i love people and i also like just as equally hate them <laughs> This is why you should join Facebook, because I'm literally in a Facebook group that's called I Hate Everyone. <laughs> it's just a bunch of autistic people griping about the world, but... <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah. Wow. It's hard that we can't just be seen as normal people and people just get to know us. Like, most times when visibly disabled people are approached in public, it's always, like, about our bodies or about our disability. It's just disappointing. Like, it's... It's a part of us, but it's not, like, the only thing that we are, you know? Right. I had one more question about the concept of being found as inspiring in public, right? So, I don't know if you've heard the phrase inspiration porn, but that's, like, the concept that we're talking about right now, just being found inspiring if you're just a person with a disability, right? For just being existing, being a normal person. This person messaged me, and they were like, so... There are times where I'm super proud of disabled people for doing really cool things. Like your body is not built for this environment, but you do something really cool in it. Like you, ha you have an accomplishment and that's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, we should celebrate accomplishments. Like that's not really what this is about. My question for you is when you're skiing and people find you really inspiring, in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, you're skiing and that's you know, you're, you're doing your sport that you love and that's cool. But do you think that there is a difference that you're a, becoming a Paralympian and you're like going into this like worldwide competition? Do you separate that? Or is it still like, you just don't like the concept of being found inspiring? I think it's, it's hard to tell the difference between when somebody is saying you're inspiring in the way that is, is, annoying and weird mm -hmm. versus when they're saying inspiring meaning you know holy crap your body's like so different yet you're doing like all this other cool stuff and you're accomplishing like this stuff that normal people couldn't do mm -hmm. right even able-bodied people like it's not common to be an olympian you know like oh. that is amazing <laughs> you know sorry continue yeah. i interrupted you no um you're good yeah, it's, it's just hard to kind of say, well, that was, like, kind of inappropriate or, you know, what, that was, like, really nice. But I think, we're, like, we're, as I'm getting, you know, I'm hoping to go to the Paralympics next year, like, we'll see. It's very, like, on the fence right now based on COVID and a whole bunch of other mm. world problems. <laughs> but, you know, as I'm getting into that, like, it's, I'm hoping like I do get a big following whether that's like I'm hoping that's mostly disabled people 
Yeah. That would be, like, so awesome to get to talk and to connect with those kind of people as I kind of am, like, you know, because it's going to be televised. And, you know, people are going to know my name and people are going to know who I am and, and whatnot. But I think the you're so inspiring thing is going to get worse, unfortunately, mm. because of that. But, like, as I get, you know, a bigger following from different people, you know, and, and trying to educate people, like, about what is right and what is wrong to say to somebody that has a disability. I love that. I love that. And it, it, it is different. That's the distinction that needs to be made. You're doing something that's, like, above and beyond, like an incredible challenge and incredible like competition and that's so cool but if people just see you existing like you know in a normal casual situation and they approach you about it that's different you know yeah okay we want to get into a couple questions just about your spirituality and your experience with the church you were born into the church is that right or were you a convert okay and what kind of barriers have you faced in the church if any yeah, I'm going to just talk about, like, my mom's and my experience with the church and, you know, having a disability in the church. Do it, yeah. As a baby, you know, with my mom going to church, a lot of people were, you know, if they saw me, they were very, like, poor thing, like, oh my gosh. And then also would do, you know, as the church is, like, one of their values is service. People would do, like, oh my gosh, their child is, is like, disabled, so I'm going to go, like, do a service for them. Mm. You know, regarding, like, going to certain, like, camp activities. Mm. If I ever, like, went to girls' camp, obviously, like, some leaders were better than others, but, you know, I had to go to them and say, this is what I need in order to come, instead of them saying, let's think about this person and what they need so that they can come. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I couldn't go because there was no bathrooms and I need a bathroom. Like, I can't just go to the bathroom like a normal person. Like, I have this whole plan, like, treatment plan and and whatnot that I have to do every night Mm -hmm. or be healthy. And they would never have bathrooms there. Like, they just go to, like, some lake for a few days in camp. Mm, Yeah. So it was just, it was definitely a lot of, like... Before I had to consider if I even wanted to go, I had to ask, like, are there bathrooms? Where are we going? Like, what is the location? What is, like, are we going in the mountains or are we going, like, in the desert? I don't, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, I've moved a lot throughout my life. I mean, I've stayed in Utah, but I've just moved to different towns and cities and whatnot. And so it's been really interesting to kind of go to each ward and each church that I've been into to kind of see how they react to having somebody with a disability in their church because it's so rare Mm. and they're they're not educated on that. So they don't really know how to deal with that. Mm. So, yeah, I think there's definitely been a lot of like, well, that kind of sucked. But like, okay, you know. Looking at the statistics, there should be like, at least a quarter of the people in the ward should be should be disabled, you know? Yeah, so the fact that it's so rare shows that, like, church isn't a welcoming place for disabilities. Otherwise, like, you would see the statistic be accurately represented. It just makes me think, okay, where are all the disabled people? They either aren't being invited or they're not being accommodated and they stopped going or they went, quote, inactive 
because y'all aren't being welcoming to them anyway. It shouldn't be rare. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I live very rural right now. Mm -hmm. Like, super-duper small town up in the Uintas. So, obviously, it's rare up here to see a child with a disability. But also, like, I lived in Provo for a while. Like, you know, and I lived in Lehigh, and I lived in Orem. And even then, I was the only kid. Mm. Was there one place in particular that was more welcoming to you as a, someone with a disability than other places, like ward-wise? I, I mean, they've all been kind of welcoming because it's like, you know, it's kind of taught taught to be non-judgmental and nice. And yeah, on the surface, yeah. Right. So, I mean, right now I'm no longer in the church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have just recently decided to not go anymore. Good for you. But um, the last few years with this word were pretty good. I think, you know, all of them could be doing better. But I felt a little bit more comfortable than most wards that I've been in. Is there anything in particular that they did differently that made it more comfortable? Or is it just the people or... Yeah, I mean, I think because I I live rural and the way that people live up here is very, like, country and, like, super rugged and, you know, I mm-hmm. like farmers and just people, like, you know, just don't give an F. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know. And I just, that kind of environment of, like, I'm just going to go to church in my jeans and a shirt, like... Gotcha. Kind of thing. But I also think... The leaders that I had were really great, like nothing that I had ever experienced. Just super chill. Like, you know, if we ever went to go on a camping trip, you know, if I did go, we'd like stop at the gas station and, you know, the bishop, whatever, would be getting a Red Bull. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like just super like, yeah, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, I don't know. Just the environment felt a little more safe to be in. Okay. I think now, you know, I just got out of Young Women's. The past few leaders have been kind of, eh. I slowly started to be like, I don't know if I want to go to church anymore. And then I get just like, no. Yeah. Okay. And then I had a follow-up question on something you said earlier. You kind of mentioned how in the church we teach that service is a really big value and people would come and serve your family. Do you feel like people served your family just because they're like, oh, there's a disabled person in the household, we should go serve them? Or were they meeting a specific need that your family actually had? I think it was both. Okay. I did, you know, as a kid, I was in the hospital all the time. So people were doing lots of service things like making us dinners and, Mm. you know, just like asking us what we needed because I was like in the hospital and, you know, my family's just kind of like, what do we do? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there was that kind of service, which did a great, like, we're so grateful for those people. Mm -hmm. But also I think there was a lot of this poor kid, like, they're like living in, in poverty and they need our help. And, and I mean, it was slightly sincere, but also it was just because like, oh my gosh, I'm definitely getting into heaven if I help these people out because they have a disabled child. Mm. Okay. Like, 
just, you know, like, oh, I'm a good person if I if I'm going to help this family out, you know, you know, right. So service out of love versus service out of obligation or like to make yourself look better, mm-hmm. pride kind of thing. Yeah. Or out of pity. Like, yeah, all yeah. those things. It's different when it's out of love, right? Like you can feel it. Yeah. I feel like I want to ask this question before we go any further. How would you describe your spirituality right now, sailor, or lack thereof, whatever? Right. Generally, if somebody was like, are you religious, you know, and, and what are you? Like, I guess I would say I'm a free thinker. Mm-hmm. And, but it's spiritually diverse. I live in a multi-faith household. Okay. I, you know, my... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're okay. We have dogs, too. (laughs) My parents, you know, from kind of, I mean, not from the get-go because I was raised in the church, kind of gave us the choice to be like, listen, you don't have to believe any of this. We're going to let you believe whatever the heck you want. Mm -hmm. You know, like, just super, like, accepting of this child believes in this and this child believes in that. And it's okay that it's different, you know, for everybody. There's some people in my family that are not like affiliated with the church anymore or anything like that. But there's mm-hmm. some members who are still kind of going to church. I love to like learn about different religions and different ideas of how people live based on what they believe about God or Jesus or the gospel or just, you know, kind of whatever it is. Totally like willing to like learn about that. Yeah. So I'm just a free thinker, I guess. That's awesome. I love how you describe that. I'm not currently going to church either right now. I don't plan on going anytime soon. But the podcast and kind of this little podcast bubble, we have a a couple other podcasts that we interact with a lot. They're kind of like my ward, I guess, but I I don't really believe (laughs) the same way other people do even on the podcast. And that's okay. It's really cool to see people who are still in the church, like trying to make it a better place. That's what I hope to do on here is hope to make it a better place for people that do want to believe in it, you know, even though I don't, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in having diverse spirituality in your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, in your personal life, in your circles, with your friends and your family. I think that there's kind of like an unspoken culture in the church of like, I mean, unspoken we believe that we're the only true church on the earth. So there's that, (laughs) right. But then there's like this concept of when you meet people of other faiths, that it's like some people find it threatening to their faith, even though that person's doing their thing and you should be doing your thing. Do you know, like just the fact that they're not members of the church can feel imposing to some members and feel like, Mm. I don't know. Anyway, if you feel like the church has been teaching you, you have to be only friends with members, like that's just, that's garbage. People are valuable and important and spirituality is important inside and outside of Mm -hmm. the church. And people need to understand that and make that a bigger thing in their lives, honestly. Do you feel like your disability has any impact on your being a free thinker? I don't know if it has anything to do with my spirituality and, and that choice. I think it definitely affected why I stopped going to church. Yeah. Not saying that I don't believe what the base of the church is teaching, but I think it's what they're teaching now is is no longer 
what I would say is Joseph Smith's church. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that it's like that anymore. You know, I think that we're, we've steered pretty far away from it, in my opinion. That was kind of the reason why I left. But yeah, I don't think my disability really had much of any impact on what I choose spiritually now. Okay. You said that disability is part of the reason why you stopped going to church physically. Can you expound a little bit on that? Yeah, I think, especially because of recently I've left, I just was kind of disappointed in the function of it because, you know, I'm older and Mm -hmm. I have more brain capacity to understand and comprehend what's going on, you know, because if you're raised in the church like I was, you don't question because you're a kid. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my parents know everything. These people know everything because they're a higher authority. Like, And I think kind of as I've been able to be my own, you know, thinker and, and decide for myself, I think I've been kind of disappointed in the people in the church and who they've chosen to lead. Mm. I've just barely had like a conversation with what was my current young woman's leader and she was like, are you coming to camp? And I was like, I don't know. Is there going to be any bathrooms? <laughs> yeah. It was very like, where are we going? What are we doing? Like, I need to know before I make a decision. Like, I can't just show up and be like, I can't do that. And I, this was over text. She didn't respond to me for a few days. And then hmm. she texted me and was like, hey, so like, are you still planning on coming? I was like, I don't know. You didn't text me back. Did you get my text? And she was like, yeah, well, which one? I said the one where I asked about this and this and this. And she was like, oh, yeah, I got it. I was like, okay, you didn't answer any of those. Ah! So then finally, like in the shortest sentence ever, she answered them. And then from that moment, I was like, I'm not going. Like, just based on this text conversation, I'm not going. Like, I'm just really disappointed ah. in how you didn't take me into consideration mm. about what I needed. And how I will be able to go and how I'll be able to function while we're there and just all of the things. Yeah, for sure. I just want to say, like, what Sailor just described, to you it might sound like just a text conversation, but, like, these are what I would refer to as microaggressions for disabled people. And they happen over and over and over again in our lives. And these things build up over time. And after a certain point, it's literally the final straw that breaks the camel's back. It's just like, I I don't want to put up with this anymore. It's an example of everything, not everything, but like a lot of what's wrong in the church. And she tried to play it off too. Like, what text? Like, come on, like, just read it right in front of you. If you don't know, then why don't you just text back? Maybe this is my autism speaking right now. Like, just text back. I don't know. Let me check on that. Bam. Even if she had done that, you would have been able to tell like, oh, shit, she didn't like think of that from the beginning, right? But at least that way, it would seem like she would be like, oh, shit, I should have thought of this from the beginning. Let me incorporate it now. Like that in itself is like repentance, you could call it, right? But she didn't bother with that. I'm so angry on your behalf right now. (laughs) It's hard. I feel like if people themselves interacted in spaces that were not built for them, they would understand better, right? Like, Mm -hmm. We have to interact with spaces that aren't built for us every single day. And when you ask simple questions like, will I have the things I need to be able to function in this space? Like it's a problem for people. They're like, oh, 
yeah, let me ask, let me check, you know, I mean, she didn't even really do that for you. You had to kind of follow up, but it's just so frustrating. I don't feel like it's a big ask. Yikes. So last question, if you could tell an able-bodied person, member of the church or not, anything about your life as a disabled person or athlete, what would you express? For me, if I'm explaining, you know, to somebody about like my disability or, you know, my personal opinions on certain things, I think if they like couldn't understand, I I would ask them to just self-educate like I think people are so unwilling especially I think sometimes people in the church are so unwilling to self-educate they're just so instantly like need to go to somebody else or something Mm -hmm. to ask about this thing that they need to be educated on where you know we live in in a world with tons of technology and tons of you know sources like I think that people need to just start they're curious about it like google it yeah yep Yes, Sailor. It is okay to ask, like, you know, me personally, like, I don't understand this. Please, you know, educate me. But I'm also like, well, first, I need you to go educate yourself. Mm -hmm. You need to generalize yourself on that specific subject. Then you can come to me. Yeah. Make a minimum effort to show that you're just not wasting our time. Love that. Love that. Well, that's it for today, everyone. Thank you for listening or reading. And please join the conversation on Instagram. That's Instagram.com slash HolyHuman, W-H-O-L-Y-H-U-M-A-N. Please contribute to our Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash HolyHuman. And actually, we just introduced a new thing on our Instagram, a link tree. So that way, all of our important links are just in that one link in our bio on Instagram. So you can head to our Patreon straight from there or listen to the latest episodes or go to our book list or send us a form to be one of our interviewees. And yeah, you can even send us an email straight from there. So I recommend you check that out because it's really cool. And thank you to Matthew for our intro and outro music we access the song through freesound.org thanks everyone